0: Funny how it be funny like I'm a clown, I am like I'm a clown, like I'm a clown, like I'm a clown, like I'm a clown,
1: like I'm a clown, I'm a
0: clown. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Silver Screen Video. And we have a great guest. Oddly enough, another book critic for two episodes now. We're we're really classing it up, as my co-host would say. Um, this is Jonathan here with my co-host Jacob. Jacob, tell the people who we have this week. Yeah, I didn't know if you
2: were gonna introduce me or if you were just gonna steal my lines. You know? I
0: gave you the credit, so it can't <sighs> be stealing if I give you the credit.
2: Look, whatever, dude. You know, we'll just talk about it off we'll just talk about it off air. Um <laughs> Anyways, yeah, today we got Christian Lorenzen, a uh, great book critic, really, really smart guy. Um, uh, one of the, I think one of the best uh, literary critics working today. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we're
0: class enough to join a little bit. In this episode, we uh, we talked about some Sidney Lumet movies and yeah, and you know, guys, this is another episode where we recorded it a while back, and we just got backed up, and we're we're working hard to get all of our guest episodes out. So, yeah, we recorded this one a while ago, and it's a, it's a great episode. I'm a huge fan of Sidney Lumet. Um, I think he's you know I think he's a, a fantastic American director. He's he should really be in the conversation a bit more when people start discussing great directors. But uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. And um, Jacob, how familiar with were you with Lumet? I mean, not not counting like dog day or network, but like how familiar were you with his work?
2: You know, I I've seen the classics, you know, dog day afternoon, uh, Serpico, you know, I think I've seen Serpico. Maybe I haven't, um, you know, uh, 12 angry men, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but I've never, there's a couple of movies on here that I think are, are kind of, uh, Lumet, uh, deep cuts, uh, that we get into. Uh, and then of course, the modern classic before the devil knows you're dead, which is uh, you know, we we get into that quite a bit, but man, what a movie that is, you know.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how well it holds up. And, you know, as we discuss in the episode, like it's always bittersweet to to revisit a, a great I say great, I think I, th- I don't think he ever gave a bad performance, but um Philip Seymour Hoppin, you know, to revisit some of his films. It's definitely bittersweet since obviously uh he passed away. Way too early. So um, he's just so great in that movie. And yeah, I fucking that's that's such a great movie. And it holds up like it's... Yeah, we, we really get into detail on that one. Um,
2: yeah. And if, uh, folks, if you want to hear more uh, silver screen video, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash silver screen video. Uh, there's a couple different things we have on there. You can... Uh, we have a silver small screen video uh, series, which is where we're dissecting Mad Men episode by episode. Uh, We do like two episodes or we we do cover two episodes in each of our episodes. And uh, that's a fun time. We've been having a lot of fun uh, diving deep into a show that uh, I think we both love, but one that I've seen a million times and Jonathan's only seen once. So it's a fun dynamic. Uh, And I love
0: it, despite the fact that it doesn't star Tony Soprano. So, right. Yeah, that
2: was uh, a big hurdle for you. I was like, it was now this TV show doesn't have Tony Soprano. So it's, you know. But uh I
0: feel like that's a hurdle for any show I watch. I just have to con like I have to tell myself early on in the show that Tony's just not gonna show up. Right. So that would be
2: fun if he did show up in Mad Men though.
0: Um It would be fantastic 'cause like he wouldn't take any of Don's shit.
2: So right. Yeah, and uh, by taking any of his shit, you mean he would just instantly murder him, probably.
0: Um, well, I mean, if Don tried to do that thing where he, like, negs him in a meeting, Tony yeah. would just get up and <laughs> just, like, break a glass over his face, so,
2: yeah. That would be great. Like that That's, like, uh, unstoppable force and immovable object. Like, Don would be like, picture a carousel, you know? Or, like, watch out, I don't want to end up pregnant. And Tony would just, like tackle him and like both of them would be like flying like out the window of the time life building on like the 50th floor
0: was this your way to finally get your Don Draper on a podcast episode like was this <laughs> how you orchestrated it because um, folks he does it a lot off pod and I told him it would never make it on an episode I think so. it's a pretty good Don
2: Draper impression but you know what we'll let the people decide um,
0: well outside of Mad Men we also do the Godzilla film series that we've been working our way through and it is getting good. We had a little bit of a, a struggle with one movie in particular, but then the, the next ones have been just fantastic. So we are, uh, what, are we probably like 11 movies away from wrapping that series up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and we're, we're not covering every Godzilla movie. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll keep it going after we finish, but we're starting with the, uh, the criterion collection, uh, Godzilla series for their thousandth, uh, released they released all the Showa edition or Showa era um, Godzilla movies there's 15 of them and I think we're about five in uh, by now and it's uh, that's turned that's that's been a really fun to to delve into something that uh, it's kind of the opposite of the Mad Men series I don't know shit about the Godzilla universe and you're bringing all this other you know knowledge to the table so it's uh, yeah it's been a fun time both of them so if you're interested, check those out: Patreon.com/silverscreenvideo. Um, I don't know anything else, or should we get to it?
0: No, man, I think that's it. So, guys, just yeah. Um, if you enjoyed this, please rate and review wherever you listen. Those reviews uh, and ratings on like iTunes or any of that really helps. You know, help get the podcast a little bit of notice, and uh, we really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, outside of that, guys, I think we're ready to uh, to get to the guest this week. Uh, Jacob, you have anything to add? No, let's get to it. Okay. Guys, thanks for stopping by the Silver Screen video. We will see you next week.
2: Folks, I guess this week is a brilliant writer and critic whose work you can find in such places as the London Review of Books New York Magazine, and Book Forum. Please welcome to the show, Christian Lorenzen. Hey, Christian.
1: Hey, guys. Hey, Christian. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, we uh, obviously, you're a uh, very prolific. Um, most of your criticism, I think, comes from um, or, or is like book criticism, and you're definitely one of the, the more prominent voices, I feel like, in in, in book criticism. Uh, at the moment, but um, talk to us a little bit about, uh, because you've dabbled in film criticism as well. Um, Tell us a little bit about some of the work that you've done uh, in the field of film criticism.
1: I had two little streaks um, of writing about film. One was for N Plus One right when it was starting out in 2005. So I wrote about... The Life Aquatic by Wes Anderson, You, Me, and Everyone We Know by Miranda July, kind of a bunch of Gen X hipster directors. That's what I was writing about at that time. Right. Um, And then I was writing those, those pieces got a fair amount of attention, which was new for me uh, because I had a day job at a magazine that nobody read called The New Leader. Um, And N plus One got around immediately but they didn't pay and i had a night job also proofing the new york sun which is a right-wing newspaper during the bush administration so i kind of tailed off from doing that writing just because i was too busy and then a few years ago i had a gig for about a year uh writing on film for the new republic so i i wrote about um Directors like Lanthimos, the Safdie brothers, um, um, Sophia Coppola, uh, Wes Anderson again, and um, Alex Ross Perry. At least those are a few of the pieces. I think so I what, the Blade Runner sequel too. And then documentary yeah, about Obama's foreign policy team.
2: <laughs> well, I was going to ask you what are some of your uh, what are some of your favorite directors that you really enjoyed writing about or. Um, I guess enjoyed painting as well. We talked a little off the off the uh off the air about uh your your preferences against Judd Apatow or Yeah, I, mean, I guess the
1: big pans were Apatow and Wes Anderson. I mean, I had a kind of a complicated Apatow. I just find puerile and reactionary. Right. Many really dick jokes. Um and also all these all this family values moralizing usually. The end of his movies, especially in like Knocked Up,
2: <clears throat> sure.
1: Um, and then I don't know with The Life Aquatic. I thought um, I was, I kind of had an allergic reaction. I had first a strong attraction, and then an allergic reaction to his kind of mannered hipster aesthetics. But I think he's he's gotten more and more interesting as he's gone on, although I still have, uh, I still have maybe certain allergic reactions to a lot of his films. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I With film, I tend to be very much interested in writing about the directors who are, Either a little older than me or around my age, so like Gen X directors, so the Safdie's, Alex Ross Perry, Sofia Coppola, Miranda July, Anderson, Baumback. You know, that's th- those are the ones that I find myself having something to say about. Right. Um, it's different. It's a different thing than my um, movie watching habits. I mean, I was a when it's possible, I'm a real film forum habitué and, um, you know, never missing any, like, <clears throat> old Hollywood noir series. Right. Or, you know, early French New Wave, uh, Kurosawa, that kind of thing, you know.
0: Now, are are you a fan of the Sappy brothers? Like I know you said you like to write about them but do you did you like Good yeah, yeah. Time like and Uncut Gems? Time.
1: I like Good Time and yeah, Uncut Gems is a lot of fun and Daddy Long Legs. Um yeah, I mean I I sort of I thought Good Time in particular was a like a like a full-on classic New York thriller. I mean same with Uncut Gems, they're just um you know they're really mining some like Classic 70s territory in a way that nobody else seems to be bothering with anymore, and yeah. uh, doing it with a lot of energy, and definitely they have a lot of relation to our subject at hand, too. I think, yeah. Well, of speaking that, of which, let's, yeah, speak, of these, that movie is pretty cold,
2: yeah. Speaking of which, let's just uh, let's just jump into um, talking about uh, like you said, the, the reason uh, or our main topic for today, um. Sydney Lumet uh he was a director that you um had kind of had suggested that uh that we talk about and I had obviously you know like most people I feel like have been familiar with like his main works you know uh yeah. Dog Day Afternoon, 12 Angry Men, uh Network and I would say probably Serpico is 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 up in that uh as far as like the more famous works of his um But we watched uh, three movies, one of which I had seen and the other two that I had never even heard of before. But what specifically about Lumet um, did you find interesting and did you want to talk about?
1: Well, uh, to ground it anecdotally, from 2011 to 2015, I was living in England. I had, um, you know, a lot of time to myself because I was a bit of a fish out of water. I watched a lot of movies, and I just, you know, I was mostly torrenting films, I guess, and so I was, the approach I was taking was sort of like just blazing through actors' careers, blazing through directors' careers, you know, at some point I just tried to watch like all the Kirk Douglas movies, all the Robert Mitchum movies, all of Bogart or whatever, and all of of Truffaut. I mean, I'd pretty much done good art in Truffaut in my twenties. But anyway, I realized that Lumet had this filmography that I mean is I I don't is it more than fifty years with almost a movie every year? Yeah, it's something like that. And it just spans an incredible. Length of I guess oh, so Twelve Angry Men is nineteen fifty seven and then before the Neville knows you're dead is two thousand seven so fifty years, almost that many movies coming out of the late period of the golden age of Hollywood, and then ending up in the Bush administration, second Bush administration, it's it's just a rich vein. So yeah, I knew I everybody. Who watches any movies? Pretty much knows Serpico, Dog Day, Network, and maybe. Well, I had early exposure to The Verdict. With Paul okay. Newman. Have you seen that one?
2: I actually haven't. Yeah. I know of it, John. You ever seen that one?
1: Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I like that movie.
1: And I so I think at one point I I was gonna do a piece for N plus one actually that I never ended up doing that was going to be about. John le Carre adaptations and after spy who came in from the cold, I think the first le Carre adaptation that was made was an adaptation of his first novel, a call for the dead. And it was done by Lumet under the title the deadly affair. And because of, um, certain intellectual property rights, uh, conflicting with the, um, with whoever had the rights to spy who came in from the cold, the character of George Smiley's name had to be changed to, I think Charles uh, Dobbs as played by Mm. James Mason. Okay. Functionally a prequel to spy who came in from the cold and all the other Smiley narratives that come after that. So I think that's how I started in on Lumet. And then I have I began going through all of his films. Um, That was probably about, Seven or eight years ago, and uh, I've pretty much seen them all now, except maybe there's a couple that are very hard to get hold of. I don't think I've seen the fugitive kind. I I haven't seen a few of the early ones between Twelve Angry Men and The Pawnbroker, right? And I don't think I've seen Bye Bye Braverman. I recently just saw Just Tell Me What You Want which is a r- kind of romantic comedy and just a delight from 1980 with Ali McGraw and Garbo Talks uh, which is a quirky mid-80s comedy. Uh, yeah, Garbo Talks is
0: uh is is actually like surprisingly funny. Like yeah. I, I like that movie. I love Ron Silver um and Ann Bancroft. Yeah, that was yeah. that was
1: solid. They're ve- both very charming. Yeah. Um, odd movie to describe, but uh, I recommend it. Um, yeah. So the ones we've picked today, the movies that that of Lumet's that um, I think constitute his like, if not the majority of his body of work, then probably the the real standouts. In that they would include. Dog Day and Serpico are these psychological thrillers. Right. Uh, put a genre name on them. Um, so the ones we're talking about today, Morning After, Q&A, and his last film, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, are definitely on the darker side of that... of um, that... of that vein in his work. But... Um, I mean, there are ones that are even darker, like the offense. That one I find almost difficult to
0: watch. Well, let's get
2: into let's get into the morning after. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: Well, actually, real quick, I I wanted to ask um, before the devil knows you're dead, as you pointed out, it's his his last movie. But have you seen Find Me Guilty from the year before?
1: I saw it in the theater. Yeah. I mean, what did you
0: think of that? Just real quick. I'm curious.
1: It's kind of goofily charming. Um, that, that's a know, good. It's return to I think, as I recall, it was it was greeted warmly because it was like you know, the elderly Lumet returning to the courtroom, which was the scene of uh Twelve Angry Men, and somehow turning Vin Diesel into a serious-ish actor.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was just it was so bizarre because it had just charming enough of a of a cast, like Ron Silver was back. It was like Peter Dinklage before anybody really knew who he was. Like it had a really, had a really solid cast and uh, yeah, it, I just found it oddly charming. I've seen it several times. I don't know why I like it so much. So I was just curious to see what you thought. Yeah. Cause yeah, I dig that movie, but I just, I don't know what it is. I like about it so much. So. Well, he'd
1: had a, he'd had a few duds coming up to that. He'd done Gloria with Sharon stone is a movie. Pretty much nobody likes as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think there was an HBO miniseries about torture the name of which escapes me at the moment. Um there was a a hospital drama called Critical Care and in his last really very good movie uh before Find Me Guilty was Night Falls on Manhattan with um Andy Garcia who plays it has it has a lot in common with Q&A
0: um,
1: in that it's a New York urban cro- tale of crime and police corruption.
0: Yeah, he really liked to play around with police corruption and just overall yeah, like, corruption themes in general seemed to be the waters he preferred to wade in when he would deal with cops or anything.
1: Yeah, that's certainly the way with uh, Serpico, Prince of the City... Q and A, and um, Night Falls on Manhattan. Less so with A Stranger Among Us, um, which in which Melanie Griffith goes
0: undercover among the
1: Hasids, which is an odd yeah. and also charming movie.
0: Um, well, he would ju- he would just go after it with such like, it wasn't it wasn't really just another movie about a dirty cop, especially when we're talking about. Uh, Q and a, because he really dives into like the overwhelming amount of like racism and misogyny and all that, that existed within these establishments. Like, so you're having to operate within those guidelines. I don't know. He just, he did some, uh, he did some really interesting stuff. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Racism
1: and misogyny, but also a kind of um, Byzantine set of alliances within those structural divides.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's kind of embodied um, by the cop in uh, Q&A who says, you want to know what it's like to be a black cop? Well, before I'm black, I'm blue. You know, which. uh, Yeah. And
0: like, it's such an it. And that was such an interesting scene simply because. And I guess, uh, do we want to talk about them in order? Or can we just jump into Q&A now? Well,
1: I'm happy to. Go. I'll you. Why don't you guys set the pace? I'm happy to go freestyle, jump back and forth, talk about other yeah, movies I... that aren't among these three. But I've yeah, seen most really of them. Yeah, I watch a lot of them over and over again. So I kind of picked these ones because I don't know. I wanted. I feel like not maybe not enough people know about Morning After and Q and feel like a lot of most people my age saw uh, before the devil knows you're dead when it came out, or at least among my pals. Um, yeah, no,
0: yeah, I agree with that. I remember before the devil knows you're dead. Um, yeah, as soon as it came out, but yeah, so let's about Q and a, let's, we can bounce around some, but I, it's interesting. You said that scene about Q and a, because, um, it's, he gave them like, I'm, I'm blue first, but none of them, you could tell with the way they acted would, res, would return that feeling. Because of their racism, so it was really just in my to my take anyway. It was really just an interesting because there's no way Nick Nolte's character as we as we see in the movie would ever be loyal to you whatsoever. So because he's a racist piece of shit, so it's just really interesting. Well, he was, his
1: line, "You're the widest black guy I know,"
0: yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> I mean, obviously, Nick Nolte is a, like a um, <clears throat> he's like a sociopath, murderer, pawn of, of both the mafia and, uh, the corrupt district attorney. Right.
0: The yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Bernie hasn't blackmailed and, but as, as a cop, a mafia, yeah, a crooked cop, and also kind of like the bagman for the district attorney, it gives him kind of free reign to just get away with his own um, personal psychoses, which uh, have a a uh, psychosexual character of murdering gay men or trans women, right?
0: Yeah, and and with Q and A, like um, I find it really interesting, simply because Nick Nolte was the best thing about the movie to me. It was a nice throwback movie. Like it was, it was a 1990, it came out in 1990, but I got a lot of eighties vibes off of it. Mm. Um, It was really just like an eighties. The soundtrack
1: soundtrack is very eighties.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it was one of those movies where it's like, I really enjoyed the throwback, but mainly like Nick Nolte and Armin Asante was great. I feel like Timothy Hutton's miscast, but I feel that way about Hutton in most movies.
1: Yeah, Timothy Hutton, is he's got to kind of play the straight man, the innocent kid. And so in that string of Lumet movies, he has something in common with Treat Williams from Prince of the City and with um, um, Matthew Broderick in Family Business. Yeah. He's kind of like, he's uncharismatic or even anti-charismatic while being surrounded by these sort of charismatic monsters right i to me what re-watching it armand asante really stole the film for me and the other was oh, so good was yeah by, um lumet's daughter jenny lumet yeah who plays the ex of timothy hutton and the current girlfriend of armand asante's drug dealer
0: well, I was going to ask Jacob, what do you think about Q&A? Like, we didn't really talk about this a lot before we recorded, so I'm not really sure how you felt about it.
2: You know, Q&A, I, I, I like the vibe of it, I definitely. It feels like one of those, um, you know, we talk about um, th- these kind of micro genres all the time. Like, it feels like something like Blue Steel or, you know, back in the 90s, I feel like there was room for, you know, a movie like this, like a two and a half hour um uh, movie about like corrupt policemen and stuff, but I'm gonna be honest, I just it, it didn't really. I don't know, I, I didn't really find it very thrilling. Um, I think Timothy Hutton is definitely, boy, I don't know, man, he he just is kind of just a just a sack of potatoes in this movie. I feel like, <laughs> um, he just uh, I don't know. I read this uh, behind the scenes thing where he like uh went on like squad car runs with like NYPD officers. Uh, you know, in order to prepare for the role. And he says, uh, in many cases, the hands of the officer on the street are tied. So I think it's really interesting that he just came out like he was doing fucking squad car runs in the eighties. Right. And
1: And he's like, what can they do?
2: Right, right, right. Like he's doing, I mean, we're talking about the fucking eighties in Manhattan and you know, where cops, I mean, Jesus Christ, who knows what these cops got up to back then. And like, he emerged from the situation, like, ardently pro cop it sounds like so um i don't know this movie was and nick I, I like i think nick nolte was my favorite part about it just because he's so unhinged like he i saw that he gained 40 pounds for the role for seemingly no reason and he's just like this hulking mass of just insanity um, it's, kind of,
1: had, it's kind of interesting thinking about nolte because he was such a huge star in the 80s you know
2: right like,
1: um you know, 48 hours, but also like Prince of Tides, you know, he's like a, he is from that era. He's like an iconic leading man, but we don't think of him the same way we think of like Pacino and De Niro and Jack Nicholson.
2: Right. He just, he has like this unhinged energy that it's like, how on earth is this man like a movie star like he he seems insane like i don't know it's uh it, it's a really wild performance i don't know i like the vibes in this but there, there there is definitely some kind of like uh like just kind of like liberal um just like hand holding you know of just like uh kind of like social uh awareness type movie and i do think it is too long i mean this
1: Really now, the striking the... thing to me it, it's long, but it's very dense. You know? right Like right? There's not a lot of wasted time in it. And the striking thing to me, coming back to it after a few years, was that the first two-thirds of the movie are very deliberate naturalism or realism. And then after the point where they all go to um, Puerto Rico, and Nolte kills um, – what's Asante's character's name? Bobby Tex or something like that? The drug dealer mm-hmm. character. kill. He kills yeah. him by, by blowing up his boat. Uh, then the movie is just in, like, fairy tale action thriller land. And Nolte is ducking out of the line at the um, – at the air at the san juan airport suddenly he's back in manhattan we don't know how he got there finally there's the 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 crazy shootout inside the police station just nuts
0: which i thought was a really bizarre turn that really kind of like took the air out of the movie yeah
1: Um, Uh uh-huh i i mean i i kind of was delighted in it and i guess i i went with it this time around anyway um
2: just, I think it it, so it like turns in. And,
1: and it it is so nuts and while still predating Tarantino by a couple of years, you know
2: yeah it it seems like the movie like turn like it turns from being kind of like this like maybe like socially aware like uh uh not quite procedural but like this like socially aware like um portrait of like police in the big city and then like about 90 minutes in it just turns into like an episode of miami vice
1: well i i thought less miami vice than like the last the final the several shoot 'em out sequences in um like the big sleep you know
0: right okay we're just getting knocked off left and right right um every time i see a movie like this like especially a movie that's like 80s 90s thing like with a character like Nick Nolte, like there's a part of my brain that just wants Gary Busey in this movie. Huh. Um, I love Gary Busey. I think he's a psycho and I think he would, I, I would just, I just want Nick Nolte always makes me think of Gary Busey because obviously Nolte's way more talented, but they both have this ability to seem like they're complete and utter psychos. And I don't think they're acting. You know,
1: um, I, I think I somehow missed out on Gary Busey's big film roles. I mean, he was in the Buddy Holly story. Is that right? That was his big, like, star. Yeah, I career, mean, the, growing
0: up, the, my first exposure to Gary Busey growing up was was Point Break. And then I, later on, uh, I saw, like, you know, Lethal Weapon, the Buddy Holly story, Under Siege, all that. But, like, him in Point Break was when he was, like, kind of not crazy Busey he was just kind of yeah. tame Busey what is All he right.
1: doing uh Lethal Weapon is he like the heavy
0: yeah he's like the hit man for the for the drug running crew that like you know that's going after um you know uh, Glover and, and Gibson's friends And like he has this great scene where like his boss makes him roll his sleeve up and like puts a lighter under his arm And like this guy's watching him do it, and he's like, "Let him fucking stop, man!" And he's like, "No, keep it there." And like he just holds it while he's not breaking eye contact. It is a great scene. I I just love Gary Busey.
1: I have not watched the Lethal Weapon movies since I was a teen. My only real memory of them is there was like a topless scene, and my cousin like put her hand over my eyes to prevent me from seeing the nudity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's (laughs) That there's, that, there's that.
1: That and Danny Glover saying like, "I'm too old for this shit." (laughs) <laughs> um,
0: yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only person who thinks that. But every time I I see it, I'm just like, man, I want Busey in on this. Like, I in want 1990s in their, in
1: their later year. Is Busey still alive?
0: Yeah, it's odd you ask. I was actually watching clips from his new show the other day. Oh wow, yeah, the um, show. Wow. It is. Well, I use the term "show" loosely. It is. Pet, <laughs> it is. It is Pet Court with Gary Busey. Okay, and he's literally a judge who is putting <laughs> out rulings on these pet situations. And at one point, a monkey is flinging uh, feces all over the courtroom. It is a bonker show. Wow. Like it, it looks completely insane. And Busey is just in this robe behind the uh, behind the pulpit, just smiling. He just looks like a fucking psycho. Like the scarecrow from the Dark Knight or something. Gary yeah, Busey, my most recent does. exposure,
1: my most recent Busey exposure was, um, I guess, in 2015 or 2016. I was writing about the eventual uh, Republican nominee for president and presidential pres and president himself, and so I had to watch Celebrity Apprentice a bit to write a piece. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I guess you Busey. And uh, Nolte have kind of converged into a sort of trollishness in their uh, in their old age, which comes through with uh, Nolte in his um, in his role as a kind of troll-like alien in The Mandalorian. Um, yeah, I a couple of late Nolte roles that I think are pretty good is. Uh, he plays like an ex-weather underground guy in um, the company you keep, which was sort of a Robert yeah. Redford vehicle uh, about ex-sixties radicals, also with Julie Christie. And then there's
0: another. He film. he play, He had a he had a great role in Warrior as like the alcoholic father. Uh, that's oh, yeah. one of that's my fantastic. favorite like late late roles from Nolte. Um, and he was, in, he was in a really good Robert Redford movie based on a book called A Walk in the Woods um, where he just plays this kind of old, washed-up alcoholic. That's kind of his thing, I guess. His go-to now is a grovely-voiced alcoholic. I don't really understand him half the time, but I'm glad he's there. <laughs> uh, there yeah, there's,
1: another, like, there's another one that came out in 2002 called The Good Thief, which is one of the last times... I remember him, uh, he's like in Monaco or Monte Carlo or something, um, playing a kind of gambling criminal, uh, you know, having an affair with a much younger woman. It's his last, like real, the last real glamour role I remember him having. Um, anyway, Nolte, iconic. A few years ago, I got his memoir in the mail, in my capacity as a book reviewer, and uh, definitely one of the most boring celebrity memoirs I've ever paged through. Really? Yeah. It just—it was just like um, a chronicle of like having a nice time on film sets, <laughs> <laughs> making friends, you know, that kind of stuff.
2: Uh, yeah, you expect... I don't know, you, you expect, expect Nolte to have you, done you something. You expect
1: maybe a dark
0: side, but it just wasn't there. That's funny. Well, you certainly get a dark side in Q&A, because, yeah, man, Q&A, he is a, a, he's, he's just a real piece of shit.
1: He's just an animal. One of my favorite scenes was... Um, it also spoke to me of the big sleep, because, you know, when the mysterious death in the big sleep where the chauffeur gets it... Uh, crashing into off going off a cliff and uh bogart comes to the scene and the car is being pulled out right uh yeah similarly there are two cops who who go down for no apparent reason because somebody threw a rock through their windshield and their are in their uh, squad car is being hoisted out of the east river mm-hmm. and nolte is telling timothy hutton that um you know, his father was a cop. He expected better from him than bothering to investigate the murder he committed.
0: <laughs> uh, it's like he'd be embarrassed of you right now, yeah, son yeah. of a bitch. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, it's like what are you talking about, man? Like I'm, I'm just trying to do my job here, you know. I would. We can't just
0: have people murdering in the streets. <laughs>
1: Beyond the 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 um, corruption and and uh social awareness aspects of the movie i'd argue that it has some pretty good just gangster scenes too and um the uh i i hadn't realized that the the film was based on a book by the same guy who wrote the novel that uh was the springboard for carlito's way which oh wow which feels like a much more recent film but only came out three years after Um, Q&A at least to me I guess it was I wasn't old enough to go to R-rated movies when Q&A came out but I was when Carlito's Way came out so I saw it in the theater Um, yeah it feels like a
2: completely different yeah it's a guy named Edwin
1: Torres who was on the New York State Supreme Court for like decades and only retired in like 2008
2: yeah it's you know something that you you kind of mentioned with Q and A, um, that I feel like is like th- th- there's this kind of like not not a wild change in tone, but kind of just a, a change in tone there when they go to um, you know when they when they travel, and I, I feel like that is the same case with um, the morning after, but the change in tones is like multiple times in a scene. Like, yeah.
1: The thing about the morning after is that it's like, uh, it's very eighties. And in that sense, also very camp, but it's also very forties throwback too. Right. And I think those different modulations are where you get a lot of that tonal, playfulness I'd call it more a playfulness than a say schizophrenia
2: we'll talk more about the the kind of 40s throwback when you say 40s throwback are you talking about like noir or are you talking about yeah, like...
1: absolutely noir I mean okay yeah we I mean you have I mean it's a it you don't I guess I mean there. there's tons of good noirs from the 40s that are centered on the femme fatale as this movie is right although she's not actually a femme fatale she's kind of an unwilling uh possible femme fatale right although we know pretty early on that she didn't commit the murder she's been framed for right because as jeff just right. figures out that corpse wasn't in your shower when i was there <laughs> somebody yeah. must put it there
2: <laughs> <laughs> right
1: uh cor- i i found the corpse falling out of the shower scene to be pure movie magic um, and then i don't know the, the soundtrack has a lot of notes that are you know definitely aping 40s style bum 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 kind of right. you know drama you know dramatic emphasis jeff bridges is kind of like you know a goofball parody of the ex cop who functions essentially as a PI, you know? Well, I was,
2: I was trying to figure out that, that, that character, like the Jeff Bridges character. I was like, what is this? I don't know. You know, you run into these situations where like, you know, but just because there's so many like movies and just so much content out there, I was like, is this, is this referencing something? I just don't know. Or is this like, like what, like, is this a type of character or is this just like a, I don't know. Like, what am I watching here? I I had a, like, I feel like I had a difficult time trying to make out like what the deal was with the Jeff Bridges
0: character. Well, well for like, Oh, you go go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I was going to say for like three quarters of the movie, that's why I liked his character so much. Cause it was confusing, but I also found it to be really interesting. And Jeff Bridges played it so good. Like, cause this is one of the strangest movies I've seen in a while. Honestly, this is the only one I hadn't seen out of the three. Um, and this was one of the strangest movies I've seen in a while, just from a tonal point of view and like what they were trying to do. But one thing that character did for me was I thought he was, I really thought he was going to be some form of like a bad guy for three quarters of the movie because of how he played it. Yeah. And it was just really confounding um, until you get obviously to this, like probably around the third act is when you're like, okay, well maybe he is a good guy, but that's kind of how I took that character for three quarters of the movie.
1: Well, if you think of the – in genre terms, this movie fits into like a string of neo-noir movies that I would say began with um, Robert Altman's adaptation of uh, the Raymond Chandler novel, um, The Long Goodbye, right? With movie. Gould, right? Oh, yeah. Where he's taking a 40s text. And kind of self consciously and you might say postmodernly um putting it into a seventies context because you got Philip Marlowe at a supermarket and living next door to naked hippie girls. Right. Um, um and then that string of movies continues with a more genuinely hard-boiled movie like Night Moves with Gene Hackman, I think, which I think is like 1976. Right. And then Body Heat, which is uh, Kathleen Turner and I think, is it William Hurt? Right. Set in uh, New Orleans from the early 80s. And then I guess Morning After is 1986. So like. Jeff Bridges is kind of like he's he's kind of by default got the kind of Bogarty gumshoe um, savior role, but he's a hayseed from Bakersfield, who right. <laughs> you know speaks with in a of like a strangely innocent version of casual racism, right? Right, um, which leads to, yeah, a, I
0: love uh, it when he talks about how he got how, when he got, how, I think, how he lost his job or how he got in trouble, I can't remember. And uh, her character's response is just to like you hurl a slur, yeah, like that's, he, that's just how we talk. And then
1: he, then he goes, <laughs> I believe she was of Scotch Irish extraction, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right that most prostitutes are Chicana, um. <laughs>
2: He's uh, like a he's like an amateur like phrenologist yeah. almost.
1: Um, and uh, oh yeah, well, and his sociology about Jewish neighborhoods where they they tend to be long term residents, right? You know, but that could uh, be a problem. Yeah, uh, I guess it breeds prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the I think one of the funny self-conscious jokes is that the whole movie takes place in la on thanksgiving which jane fonda being an alcoholic doesn't realize first she doesn't realize that it's a thursday and not a friday well she also doesn't know how she ended up in bed next to a corpse for for listeners who haven't who don't know the premise of the movie um Oh, uh, one thing that struck I do you, are you guys fans of Adam Curtis?
2: Oh definitely.
1: Yeah. So you know yeah. in Century of the Self where he's up, uh, he does this in several of his movies, but he'll often like be talking about the, the baby boomer turn from radicalism to like uh narcissism and his symbol of that is always Jane Fonda doing aerobics. Right, right. Right. So which was a a big thing in the 1980s. Like I remember it uh, vividly from my childhood, her just being on TV all the time, promoting her aerobics videos. My mother definitely participated in that. And so this film begins with an ad or a TV segment on the, the guy who's dead in the bed she's waking up in who is a photographer who works at the nexus of photography, modeling and bodybuilding, which some call (laughs) pornography. I thought that, that was struck me as a really, one of the, one of the, 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 um, fun, self-conscious Pomo, nearly Pomo jokes that the movie partook in without, without the winking you get in like Altman's long goodbye. Um, and if you carry forward this genre further through like Tarantino, you end up with the big Lebowski, right. Where, um, that's where like, uh, Jeff Bridges is cast as a parody of Elliot Gould doing a parody of Humphrey Bogart. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think this movie is kind of a forgotten gem in that lineage. Uh, which is why
2: Yeah, I'm it definitely it definitely caught me off movie. guard in those like genre. I don't know because we all have our own like little um like pockets of like shit that we're familiar with, you know, like uh 80s action movies and, you know, film noir and, you know, and uh, you know, French movies of poetic realism and stuff like You know, for me personally, and like when I was watching this, I was just like, I don't like this feels like 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 you're talking about, like something that is part of a tradition of movies that I just am woefully like underwatched in or something. You know, it feels like a uh, like a fossil or something of a of some kind of animal that I didn't know existed.
1: It's a missing link. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) right. I guess Chinatown would be another one right that that one being more of a direct period piece you know right yeah let's see like of those movies i've seen big choice being you know homage spoof uh in the case of body heat like an attempt at a really earnest recreation just in a different milieu right abiding by the same principles another one of the another wink to that tradition in this movie, I thought was that when it gets revealed that the murder was actually committed by the heiress or judge's daughter, uh, Isabel mm-hmm. who, um, who Jackie, uh, Alex slash Vivica's husband is sleeping with and clearly trying to marry for her money. And right. turns out that she committed the murder because the guy was having, had old photos that he was using of her, Uh, naked, apparently to blackmail her as a prominent socialite, which is the exact same premise as uh, the blackmail being committed against Carmen Sternwood in The Big Sleep. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, on that level, it's full of uh, highly satisfactory commentary on the noir tradition. Um, yeah
2: it's um like even thinking about the the kind of movies that you're talking about in that lineage like obviously chinatown and um i've seen the long goodbye but i i guess i didn't i, I and i've seen like you know a million like old actual like classic noirs from like the 40s and, yeah. and 50s but like you're right they feel so they feel so different um when you take them out of that like classic noir context and like I don't I didn't yet, I never even saw Chinatown as like something with a lineage to it. I just saw it as like kind of an outlier. And same with Long Goodbye, but now that you point that out I'm like yeah, you know it is fucking weird that like Philip Marlowe is like uh, in an apartment next to a bunch of topless hippies. Like there's something yeah. so strange about that, yeah. you know. Um well let's move into Before the Devil Knows You're Dead because I I I and I think John I think this is the same with you like this movie came out a couple years after we graduated high school. And, um, I, I fucking love this movie, man. I, yeah, I, I, I saw it. In,
1: too.
2: Yeah. I saw it in 2007. And it's one of those movies where I'm like, man, I used to love this movie. I wonder if it holds up. And I watched it recently for this episode and I was like, God damn it. Like it more than holds up. Oh, I feel yeah. like yeah. it's so good, man.
0: There's, there's always something bittersweet about watching an old Hoffman movie because, you know, he's never given a bad performance a day in his life. So, like, every movie Mm. you watch, he's bringing it, like, all the way. So, like, to see him just doing what he does best, like, the car scene was absolutely fantastic. Like, he's so good. And Ethan Hawke holds everybody, holds their own in this movie. And it's just so, the pacing, the way it's shot, the way he folds the story out, everything works. Uh, Albert Finney, fucking fantastic. I mean, yeah, this movie holds up a hundred percent.
1: I absolutely agree. It's like a rare, like late style masterpiece for Lumet, mm-hmm. and
2: I'm
1: I couldn't help thinking. in on in, on on one level, I'm just going to try to pull the thread a little more from what we were talking about with neo noirs. Like, all right. So I think of this as a very Bush administration film, you know, I I did some looking around and the guy who wrote it, Kelly Masterson, apparently was sitting on it for about nine years. So he must've written it in the nineties, but still the nihilism of it, just, I really associate with the Bush years. And as a movie, I can't think of any other that like fully embody that, time period for me um but at the same time so to think of it again in terms of like its relationship to the noir tradition these two guys the brother the hansen brothers played by hoffman and uh ethan Hawke, are well it's pretty obvious that they're not cut out to for serious crime shit, as Ethan Hawke says it at one point, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. they're kind of like uh they're diminished males, right? They're they fail sons to use a term that was invented a few years after this movie came out, right? Right. And they fail miserably at at their heists, partly because of Lack of planning and partly just out of ineptitude and a a poor personnel decision
0: (laughs) in picking the guy
1: uh, Bobby Lasorda, who uh, who actually you know walks in in the mask with the gun, Um, but they're very real feeling realist characters, and then. In a, uh, and you get the feeling that, like, doing heists that way, at least, like, you know, I mean, this movie also came out during the time of the Sopranos, just like, isn't something that white yuppies can do, right? Right. You can't pull off a heist to fund your daughter's field trip to the Lion King. <laughs> you know, and, or you're like your misbegotten heroin habit that involves going to uh, visit a guy in a kimono in a midtown high rise, right? It's right. The whole it's all just like highly inappropriate. If you're going to be a yuppie like that, you need to be a highly disciplined professional with different vices, right? Than these guys have. Um, but it, it was just—it
0: was so great when Hoffman starts capping people. Like, oh yeah, when he just goes buck wild, he's like, "Fuck it, yeah. everything's on." Like yeah. it is, he just starts <laughs> capping people left and right. You're like, Jesus Christ! Like, yeah, he, 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 he because, has he flipped a goes, switch. He kind of goes postal. Uh, yeah. In of yeah, terms. But the, and the, Ethan Hawke is just watching it unfold. He, he, like,
1: meanwhile, <laughs> like, uh, Michael Shannon's character who is the brother-in-law of the dead um you know gunslinger at the heist lasorda is just like uh he actually is a throwback to those old like sopranos or godfather or old noir type guys um right and he and the the showdown with him where he surprisingly he, I don't think he, he doesn't expect he's going to get it in that scenario. You know, he's got his, uh, he got it. He's got his pistol in his pizza box, right? <laughs> right. Um, and he thinks he's going to have the upper hand, but, uh, he, you just don't expect, um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoff and Andy Hansen, to, to, uh, pull out a gun in that scenario. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. There's also just a lot of more so I think than, than either of the two other movies. Um, there's a lot of little uh, there's, there's a little bit more air and more space for kind of like um, images and Kind of uh, well, I just to me the the most heart one of the heartbreaking uh, scenes was when after Marissa Tomei leaves Andy, um, he just pulls the sheets off their bed (laughs) and gets all sad (laughs) because he knows like more like certainly his life at this point is beyond recovery there will be no going to Rio, right? There'll be no hiding out from in a, in a country without an extradition treaty to the U (laughs) S as he saw in the movie. And then uh, I took some screenshots and posted it on Twitter of him walking out to his like, you know, crappy year 2005 yuppie living room where there's a bowl of decorative stones. <laughs> right here, and he just picks up the bowl and dumps out the stones on his glass <laughs> coffee table. I just found that um hilarious. A hilarious image. Um did you guys notice you know the guy who plays the fence in the diamond district in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also yeah. the mafia leader in QA.
2: Seventeen.
1: Years oh, ago.
0: yeah. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah I didn't notice He's that. He's a night actor from the nineteen thirties named Leonard Chimino.
2: Damn, I didn't notice. I didn't notice. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, I've, um, I've
1: seen that guy before. Just a few hours ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Michael Shannon in this movie, he has this amazing ability to just still the show, no matter how small his part is and when he's sitting at the table talking to Ethan Hawke and like you said he clearly knows like in the Hoffman scene he thought he had the upper hand but he didn't but in this scene he clearly has the upper mm. hand and he's talking to Ethan Hawke's character and like negotiating with him he's like look she wants me to kill you yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> like i need you to un- like that was his way of saying i need no, you I'm to not understand pay my sister's bills
1: yeah like
0: <laughs> You know, this, this, like, it was just his way of being like, this is serious. This isn't like a joke playground thing. Like she wants me to fucking kill you. Um, <laughs> I just, I love that scene so much.
2: And also like, she wants me to kill you, but I really don't want to go through the trouble of killing you. Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's but- funny. It's, it, if you think about it in, in uh, New York city, sociological terms, right. You got, you got like Ethan Hawke and, uh, like Andy and Hank Hanson seem to be characters who grew up with prosperous parents from the jewelry business, from their mom and pop jewelry business living in like Westchester County or maybe Yonkers or something. Right. Right. And they moved to Manhattan to be yuppies. But uh, Michael Shannon's character is like old school Brooklyn italian guy right right so and lumet comes from that like old early 20th century white ethnic milieu um right and it's really having its last gasp uh at the point where this movie comes out i remember i mean i guess there are still people like this around you know living only less than a mile away from me right now. But I remember when some friends of mine moved into Carroll gardens, not far away from where the uh, Michael Shannon shootout scene occurs, like their, uh, their, their aging neighbors referred to them as the liberals. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's it's really like i don't know man i can't say enough good things about this movie i feel like it it's such a good new york movie and such a good uh, crime movie and like i don't know man i kept waiting for it cuz i watched you know obviously i watched them in chronological order and i just kept waiting for lumet to like slip up or something like i kept waiting for yeah. like something that felt you know anachronistic or something that just kind of felt off and like it just nothing does it's just like it's one of those like airtight like solid movies that like is almost kind of harder to make than like you know some kind of like once in a generation masterpiece because it's just it requires like pure like unfettered competence like steven soderbergh or something there's just there's really just something to admire about that and the fact that he pulled it off when he was you know i don't know really old is so cool and that scene where philip seymour hoffman uh goes to the like you said the midtown high rise to get his you know his heroin uh injection is a you know haunting for a number of reasons uh due to you know how we lost him in real life but also
1: and also not least when he the second time he shows or the i guess third time he shows up and he does the murders when he has to see the other guy with his shirt off passed out on the on the bed and realize that must be what he himself looks like when he's getting high.
2: Right. Right. And the way the, the the first time that that scene happens, that is like pure, I mean, that's pure imagery and performance, you know, like, like the imagery, like there's, there's like no, no dialogue. And it's just, it's just Philip Seymour Hoffman, like taking up the frame. And like, I don't know, man, it's just so, so fucking good. And like, I was just blown away by like this random 2007 movie that just happens to be Sidney Lumet's last movie. I was like, how can this movie be this good? This is like, you know, to reference another movie that came out like around that time, this is like Michael Clayton or something. This movie oh, yeah. owns.
1: Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, it's, I can't, I can't, obviously there are any number of great Hoffman performances, right? If we are looking for points of comparison. Sure. But, um, you know, obviously he does a star turn in Capote, but I would rather watch this movie over and over again than see that movie again, you know?
2: Oh, 100%. Oh,
0: I, I agree. He 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 switches gears so much in this movie. And, and like the scenes with him and Albert Finney when they're talking outside and like they give you, they manage to give you all of the emotion, like between the writing and the directing and, and how they're acting that this family that's clearly been building up and existed for years and we're just getting a taste of it, but the scene is so strong and he's so great. We feel like we've been living it. Like yeah, the it's family just,
1: itself is, it's kind of, obviously you got, um you got a couple of silent or greatest generation characters and Finney and his wife, Annette. And then there's that sister who only has a couple of brief scenes and seems to be very Christian putting her at odds with, um, with, uh, with Andy Hansen Mm -hmm. Hoffman's character. Oh, and then the, 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 the scene that really foreshadows the end of the film is when, um, Andy slash Hoffman says, uh, I always felt left out in this family am I really your son? (laughs) Right. And then then Finney slaps him. Um, Finney, of course, is a big Lumet actor, particularly in, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, which is not one of my favorite Lumet films, but it's kind of, you can't stay away from it because it's got like Ingrid Bergman and, um, in a, in a very late role. And, uh,
0: yeah, Lauren Bacall. I'm a big fan yeah, of that. and Lauren I, Bacall. I, I and
1: then who's that yeah. real? Who's that real psycho from the '50s who's in it? Uh, um,
0: I'm trying. To, I know Sean Connery's in it. Um, who
1: am I thinking of? Richard Widmark. Oh yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Oh
0: okay. Yeah.
1: Um, by all accounts, a a great guy in real life and uh, close friend of Sidney Poitier. Um. Haven't been as good yeah, as it's, in his, the, in his first Hollywood movie.
2: Yeah, I, uh, you know, yeah, I think that might be a good place to wrap it up. I mean, right. if, uh, if uh, like, anybody is, you know, for some reason ambiguous about the, or uh, on the fence about seeing Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, um, I don't know what to tell you. It's a, It's a fucking great movie. You should definitely watch it if you haven't seen it. Or rewatch it. Um
0: Yeah, and, and with Lumet in general, like you just just go down the rabbit hole. I just I, mean,
1: I, I fully endorse going through the whole corpus of Lumet. I mean Yeah. There yeah. there are hits and misses, but uh even the misses are pretty rewarding. And then there's just some weird movies that are unlike any other, like the Anderson tapes. Um kind of a misbegotten caper with Sean Connery. Uh Power is another one, which is I think the first movie about political consulting from like 1984, with Richard oh, and wow. Gene Hackman. Um. Anyway, it's been great talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah,
2: cool, yeah it man. has.
0: Uh, you have anything to plug or anything, Christian? Um,
2: Any recent pieces?
1: Uh, I got a, um, I got a piece in the current Harper's about literature during and after Trump. I got...
2: Oh, a, yeah, that was really great. Yeah, high
1: recommend. I got a piece on a Nick Carraway book of fan fiction coming out in airmail I think on Saturday. And I got a review of the Philip Roth biography coming out in the next issue of Book Forum. And then pretty soon I'm starting a sub stack, so uh, people can look out for that on my Twitter. i just got to wrap up a few assignments before I go into that zone
2: hell yeah man taking the taking the uh, the money away from the big magazines I like that Um,
1: I'm still gonna I'm still gonna keep going with the magazines too
2: yeah I'm sure you'll get it I mean shit man I'm sure you'll get uh, if my if my graduate school experience was any indication you'll you'll get quite the uh, quite the audience on Substack I would say Um,
0: hope so but
2: but yeah check all that out Uh, Christian thanks again man this has been great
0: thank you guys yeah Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, Christian.